What's up? This is Brent with Burgundy Blog and Burgundy Blogcast. It is Sunday, December 30th, 2018. And the Redskins 2018 season just ended as they fell to the hated Philadelphia Eagles at home 24 to nothing to drop their record, their final record to 7 and 9, their third straight season missing out on the postseason and their fourth such season in Jay Gruden's five-year tenure. I think it's fair to say that the competition in this game was every bit as lopsided, if not even more so, than the final score actually indicated. And yeah, that actually applies here, even though it was a shutout. The Redskins got their asses handed to them in a paper bag. And when you consider who they lost to, how they lost, who was in the stands, and who wasn't in the stands, this was just about as ugly and as embarrassing a season finale as you could ever hope to have. So, nice job, gang. I'm going to do a few thoughts here on the game, a few thoughts on the season overall, and then maybe a few thoughts on what I'm kind of expecting out of the Redskins here over the next couple of weeks. Even though all of this is pointless because they're going to suck forever. Burgundy Blogcast is, of course, the official podcast of Burgundy Blog, which you can and should find on Twitter, at Burgundy Blog. And I hope you will also check out my partners in pro sports podcasting at bluewirepods.com. For a game that didn't really matter to the Redskins, given that they had already been mathematically eliminated, this was about as painful as it could have been. The offense was bad, the defense is bad, the special teams did nothing, the coaching was pathetic, the stadium was two-thirds empty, and there was about 11 Redskins fans in attendance. You could easily tell on the TV broadcast that the crowd was loudly cheering for all things favorable to the Eagles and booing all things favorable to the Redskins. Somebody on Twitter, who was at the game, sent me a DM saying that He hadn't heard the crowd so animated on third downs since he was at the playoff game against the Packers a few years ago. So basically every single thing about this game was bad and humiliating. Um, The Redskins failed to crack 100 yards in terms of total offense. In fact, their total was, if I'm not mistaken, the lowest they've had in 57 years. Yes, I said years. The last time the Redskins offense was this bad in a game, the TV show was in black and white. Let's just do a quick stat comparison here, okay? This is team stats for this Week 17 game. The Eagles uh, amassed 25 first downs to the Redskins' 8. The Eagles gained 360 total yards to the Redskins' 89. Redskins, sorry, the Eagles gained 5.1 yards per play to the Redskins' 2.0. Passing yards, 231 to 68. Rushing yards, 129 to 21. Here's my favorite. This is truly unbelievable. The Eagles possessed the ball for 43 minutes and 19 seconds of the 60 minutes in this game. That's right. Well over two-thirds of this game, the Eagles were in possession of the football. Josh Johnson had 91 yards passing on 12 completions and was sacked four times. Chris Thompson was the leading rusher for the Redskins in this game with 10 yards Josh Doxson was the leading receiver in this game for the Redskins with two catches for 33 yards. In fact, let's just sum up this pathetic little game recap by saying that really nobody on the Redskins had a meaningfully good game. This football game was the varsity team against the freshman squad, and the freshmen forgot their cleats. Just total and complete domination for four quarters. I realized that last week against the Titans, the Redskins had something to play for in terms of playoff viability, at least technically, whereas today they didn't. And that's a major thing in terms of attitude, motivation, preparation. Just inevitably, even if you have extremely high character, high quality, competent, 
conscientious, proud players and coaches. That's inevitable, and it's going to affect the extent to which you know anybody walks into into the game with any sort of edge. But I'd say that whatever sort of credit you wanted to give Jay Gruden and his staff for coaxing a spirited performance out of the depleted Redskins last week in Tennessee was pretty much neutralized by how totally disinterested the entire Redskins team looked today starting at kickoff. I mean, if this game was pro- for pride, then they have none. Like none. I mean, literally, they scored no points. And they gave up 24. This game showed no heart, no fight, no enthusiasm. It just absolutely could not have been worse in terms of answering the question, did the team come prepared and ready to play? They just didn't. They got pantsed. So for a head coach who may or may not be on the hot seat, and I think, unfortunately, he's probably not. We'll come back to this. But if this game was to mean anything in terms of whether Jay Gruden would be given a sixth season... I don't see how it could have possibly reflected any worse on him and his influence on the locker room. I certainly wasn't shocked that the game unfolded like this, and I'm not even going to think about pretending that I'm disappointed about it. I wanted this to happen. I tweeted as much last night, and I was not joking or exaggerating. What I really wanted out of this game was for it to be excruciatingly painful and dissatisfying and frustrating and embarrassing for the owner, Dan Snyder. I wanted it to hurt him, to pain him emotionally and physically, to prove to him and remind him that the team is actually horrible, despite technically being close to 500 again, that the people in in the administration and their style of administration is terrible and awful and futile, and further prove to him that we as fans notice and care deeply and are reacting accordingly. I wanted the stadium to be near empty, and I'm glad that it was, and I wanted for all the fans there to be Eagles fans, and I'm glad that they were. I wanted for the look of the stadium and the crowd on the broadcast to be jarring and hilarious. And I want it to be talked about for days on social media. I hope there will be memes about it. I hope the Redskins will continue to be the butt of many jokes throughout this week and that somehow Dan Snyder is aware of it. Because that, I think, is basically the only chance we'll ever have of him finally waking up and changing everything. And changing everything is our only hope of the Redskins actually ever becoming legitimately good. The Redskins, as, as you've heard ad nauseum, were 6-3, and three, although on their way to being 6-4, and four, when Alex Smith got hurt and his season ended. I suspect we're going to be reminded of that many times over the coming months by the Washington Redskins organization, as they try to bamboozle us as fans into thinking that the season was going very well, and would have finished very well, if not for some just plain old dumb bad luck. But that's not true. Okay, the Redskins were a very flimsy 6-3, and and we all knew it, and we all said it, and we all tweeted it, and I said it many times on this podcast as it was happening. It was fun. It allowed us to dream a little bit about December and maybe January. It was a cushion that we thought hopefully was thick enough and deep enough to buoy the Redskins through their inevitable crash back down to reality in the second half of the season. I mean, we enjoyed it. It was fun. There was fun podcasts at that time. But we all knew that it was a flimsy 6-3. and The offense was never good. They were never beating anybody by a convincing margin with maybe one exception. They were barely hanging on at the ends of games and winning because the other teams were missing field goals. Everything was close and sometimes lucky. There was just no margin, and that was obvious. So even at 6-3, and three, they were basically a 500-type team. After that game in which their starting quarterback went down, they only won one game of the remaining six in the season. There were many injuries to this team, but there were lots of injuries to all the other teams that the Redskins played too. Maybe not quite as many, but plenty. They faced backup quarterbacks and backup running backs and backup offensive linemen. 
They they faced other teams with decimated defensive backfields, and they won only one out of those six games. These Redskins were never truly good, and they were never going to be good, even with reasonable average health. Some of you will blow that off as revisionist or hindsight or bias or whatever, but I'm sorry, that's just what I think. And I'm trying, as always, to be absolutely as objective as possible. Their best case scenario, their ceiling, if you will, was to make the playoffs by a game or two and maybe, maybe squeak out a narrow win on wildcard weekend against a bad team that somehow made it in. That was it. That was all it was ever going to be. But with all the injuries and with their limitations at baseline in terms of coaching and player personnel, you ended up with seven wins. That's just who they are. They are not anywhere close to championship caliber. They are not in that universe. Here comes like a random list of short stream of consciousness type thoughts that I have about the season as kind of a means of summarizing it. Alex Smith overall was an average starting quarterback this year. His numbers and the performance of the offense while he was playing were below average, but his intangibles and his skill level at things that are not obvious on film are well above average, and that made him functional. Not worth his contract, but not a disaster. Colt McCoy in his absence did exactly what we all should have expected him to do, which was kind of move the ball pretty well, make a few plays, but also make a lot of mistakes, not generally have a great deal of overall success, and then get hurt. This particular season for Colt McCoy was extremely normal and predictable for him. Going forward, I don't hate him for like one game, but I hate him for anything more than two or three games because he's definitely going to get hurt. And that, to me, is enough to disqualify him from even being a capable or reliable backup. Mark Sanchez obviously was a humongous disaster, and whoever's idea it was to sign him, that was a colossal idiotic mistake. Josh Johnson is a decent overall player capable of both good games and also bad games like today. I think he deserves consideration as a backup going forward, but he should never be in the discussion as a legitimate week one starting quarterback. And I certainly don't think he should be just handed even the backup job. Uh, Here's one. Adrian Peterson had a better year this year than we should have even expected out of Darius Geis. I think he'll still be very physically fit and capable next year. I think he's a tremendous leader in the locker room. The Redskins shouldn't be afraid to pay him a decent amount of money next year and potentially even offer him a two-year contract if that's what it takes to keep him because we still don't know how good Geis is going to be or whether Geis will even be completely healthy when the season starts. Chris Thompson had a down year because he was injured a lot, and even when he was on the field, he wasn't nearly the sort of star player that we saw out of him last year before he broke his leg. He's been one of my favorite players on the Redskins since the day they drafted him, but if they decide to move on from him this year because he's too fragile, I really wouldn't blame him. The Redskins do not have a single wide receiver on the roster who is clearly above average. Um, Vernon Davis is very, very near the end and might retire. Jordan Reed will probably never be a star player again, and therefore the Redskins overall have major, major problems right now in the pass catcher department. In terms of the offensive line, I think we should expect Brandon Sheriff to come back and be a badass again like he's always been, but Morgan Moses has to have yet another surgery on his foot or ankle this offseason. I think there's a good chance he'll deal with some nagging injuries again next year, because that's basically just what he does, and he'll probably be pretty average and probably false start and be penalized often again next year, because that's also just what he does. Chase Roulier is okay. The Redskins need a left guard. They didn't have good play there all year. And Trent Williams, I hate to remind you, has had a number of non-trivial injuries over the last couple of years. He's not super old, but it is entirely possible that his days as like a top two or three left tackle are over. He probably still has several more, more years left of being a good left tackle, but we may have already entered the period of his career in which he does not dominate every week. Flipping to the defensive side of the ball, John Allen and Deron Payne are basically both every single thing we could have hoped for at this stage in their early careers. 
they are the building blocks for the future. And we really should include Matt Ioannidis in that as well. When he was healthy this year, he might have been better than the other two, believe it or not, at least in terms of rushing the passer. And so this isn't groundbreaking, but that defensive line really needs to be the foundation of the team going forward. At inside linebacker, I think the only thing the Redskins have going for them in 2019 and beyond is Sean Dion Hamilton. I like him and his prospects. Everybody else can and probably should get gone. I think we should expect Ryan Kerrigan to have another year next year like he's had this year and several years in a row. He's not real strong against the run, but he knows how to get sacks and make big plays. On the other side, I think the writing is on the wall for Preston Smith to leave via free agency. I think Ryan Anderson kind of reverted back to looking more like a bust of a second round pick. He still has a chance to prove me wrong, but I don't have high hopes for him. And Pernell McPhee as the sort of like fourth outside linebacker slash edge guy this year, they got what they paid for with him, which was very little. At defensive back for the Redskins, Josh Norman was good, but not worth the money. Swearinger was great for half a year, then average, and now he's gone. Monte Nicholson went from rising star to a zero. The trade for HaHa Clinton Dix was a total disaster. He was flat out bad, and the Redskins basically have nothing at safety right now. Hopefully Dunbar will come back healthy. He was good while healthy this year, not great. Fabian Moreau had ups and downs, but he's really a wild card going forward. I think he was better on the outside than he was in the slot, and that's how they should use him. We have absolutely no idea if Stroman, Danny Johnson, or Adonis Alexander will ever become anything, but they were all pretty useless this year. Finally, on special teams, or at least for the kickers, Dustin Hopkins was good. He's underappreciated, and he kind of made me a believer this year. Previously, I thought he was like, whatever. Now, I like him, and I trust him. Tressway was absolutely unbelievable, and if he isn't an all-pro, then he got robbed. I haven't recorded since Swearinger got released, so I'm going to pause here and say a few things about him. I think his first eight games or so of the 2018 season were really unbelievable. He made a lot of game-changing plays. Other than that, between last year and the rest of this year, he's been a, a an average to slightly above average NFL safety, which to us seemed really amazing because the Redskins' safeties have been so bad for so long. Therefore, what I'm saying is he is slightly overrated by the average Redskins fan because of how he compares to what else we've seen previously. And also all the stuff about him wearing number 36 and being a Sean Taylor devotee, being very vocal, very loud, wearing flashy sunglasses and dreadlocks and hats, drawing a lot of attention to himself, and just overall doing a pretty good job of convincing people that he is a badass. I would say that yes, the Redskins certainly should have done a lot more all along the way to rein him in from speaking negatively about the team publicly. It may not have gotten to the point that it did if they had done that. That said, in the moment, I don't really blame them for cutting him because he just went too far and he did something that you can't you can't have players doing. It's going to kill any locker room, either quickly or slowly, if one of the loudest players is continuously ripping the staff. You just can't have that. So he had to go. I don't think there was really a a realistic chance for them to fetch more than like maybe a seventh rounder in a trade in the offseason if they had just suspended him for a game and then waited. And that's based on, you know, considering the complete picture of his play, his contract and his loud mouth. I do think perhaps most importantly in the whole situation is that it speaks so, so badly about the team and the culture and the staff that one of the team's best and most popular players would complain regularly that the team sucks. That's such a horrible indicator for the personality and makeup of your team overall. I suspect the coaches were partly at fault. I suspect DJ Swearinger was largely at fault. I suspect to some degree even his teammates were somewhat, you know, culpable for not telling him to shut up somewhere along the way. The whole Swearinger situation is just a a, a great example of how they're still built to lose. (laughs) 
The other big thing, of course, that happened since my last pod was that Dan Snyder fired Brian LaFemina and the rest of his gang of new marketing and business ops type guys after, of course, the Redskins had so loudly trumpeted their arrival merely seven months ago. I'm not going to rehash this whole thing, but I think it was a huge negative for several reasons. Number one, those guys were legitimately trying to make the fan experience better, and they had a chance at succeeding because together they had done it previously in other places, but now that chance has been squashed. Number two, I think it suggests or kind of proves they're, they're hiring and firing in, you know, within less than half a year, slightly more than half a year. Clearly indicates that Dan Snyder still has absolutely no freaking idea what he's doing in terms of surrounding himself with good people and having a vision for the short term, the medium term, and the longer term future. Because necessarily, he was either really wrong about Brian LaFemina this summer, or he's really wrong about him now. And that just fits with his long history with the Redskins of hiring the wrong people or firing the wrong people. Lastly, and most importantly, really this is the main reason that I even care about the whole thing. Because yes, I realize on most teams, fans don't give a crap at, uh, you know who the marketing guys are and couldn't name them. And that yes, even though this, this was technically a business or marketing thing, this move had major implications for the quote football side of the Redskins because Bruce Allen will always taint and contaminate the football side of the Redskins no matter what his title is if he is still affiliated. And I want to say that again in case Dan Snyder tries to pull this bullshit that he did with Scott McLuhan one more time where they, cu- they hire somebody else or promote somebody else to be the supposed GM or head of player personnel or whatever and then they move Bruce over to, quote, business. Don't be fooled if that happens again. They did this with McLuhan, and it was a sham. McLuhan was a puppet. Bruce was still in charge. Bruce was still capable of ruining everything, and he did. And he will again, if that happens again. So don't buy into any reassignment of Bruce Allen. I don't care what his title is, where his office is, which half of the building he's on. If Bruce Allen is still a high-ranking official or consultant within the Washington Redskins, he will still be capable of and highly likely to ruin the football team and make them suck. I'm going to swerve a little bit here, but I want to go back to something that I put on Twitter earlier this week uh, in case people didn't see it there. This research was born of me thinking about how could the Redskins possibly, if they were willing to to, to, uh, swallow the incredibly bitter pill, to squeeze all of the pain of Alex Smith's contract into next year and and you know rip the bandaid off all in one shot which I think would be advisable if it's if it's feasible because you know by the way to be clear I don't personally expect that Alex Smith will play football in the NFL again and I think if they just kind of like let him rehab and stay on the roster and do his thing and try to get better then you're going to have two years where the cap is is negatively at least two more years two and a half really where the cap is negatively affected in a way that that you know pretty severely impacts their ability to uh, assemble a roster. If they were to release him in the coming months, which I realize that almost everybody is telling you is prohibitive, it would be staggeringly expensive, and I don't particularly expect them to do this, but it would be, as as far as I can tell, it would cost a whopping $52.6 million in dead cap, which of course off the top sounds totally ridiculous and untenable. But hey, we're in uncharted territory here, and they're going to have to think of some creative solutions to get out of it. If they want to bite the bullet and try, you know, mathematically to swallow all of that hit this year so that they can just take off in 2020, if they want to poise themselves, position themselves for a total demolition and very rapid rebuild, then they could actually save almost that identical amount by cutting the following players, Josh Norman, Jordan Reed, Zach Brown, Vernon Davis, 
DJ Swearinger, that one's already done. Colt McCoy, Chris Thompson, Stacy McGee, and Mason Foster. A lot of those guys are going to be gone anyway. But then also, in addition to those, they would have to get nearly full credit for the $12 million insurance policy that we believe they took out on career-ending injury for Alex. That insurance can be credited back to their cap. Probably not in 2019, more likely in 2020. But anyway, if they cut those guys, Norman Reed, Zach Brown, Vernon Davis, Swearinger, who they already did, Colt McCoy, uh, Chris Thompson, Stacey McGee, and Mason Foster, and they get $12 million uh, cap credit from the Alex Smith insurance, that would actually neutralize, fully cancel out the astronomical cap hit of releasing Alex Smith. And now you're kind of back to square one, and they certainly wouldn't have a ton of money to work with, but they'd have some. They could actually do this. I'm just trying to to fight for public awareness that this is not a non-starter. This or something like this or some watered-down version of this might have already entered discussions in Eric Schaefer's office. So I say at least keep it in mind. Here's what I think the Redskins, and by that I really mean Dan Snyder, should do. Not what they will do, but what they should do. They should fire Bruce Allen because he's terrible. He's a flaming disaster. They should fire Jay Gruden, not because he's terrible, but because I don't think he's ever likely to be much more than average, and average just isn't good enough. I don't think he has great football instincts. I don't think he's good at in-game management, meaning play-calling adjustments and uh, how to manipulate the clock. I also don't think he has full control over and respect of the locker room. Then... Because I think you're going to have such a hard time attracting a legitimate, viable candidate from the outside, I think that you basically have to split up your new president-GM type duties between uh, Eric Schaefer and Kyle Smith. Maybe do something like calling Schaefer the president and Smith the GM or making them co-GMs. I'm not sure exactly. I don't particularly care what Doug Williams' title becomes, but he should really finally be acknowledged as just a scout and a spokesman. And by the way, I don't particularly love him as a spokesman, but if they feel that he is approachable and disarming, then fine. Then you go out and you find a highly respected consultant, like maybe, hey, even Joe Gibbs. If not, then maybe like a Casserly or a Dungy or somebody who knows how football really works. And you put them in a room with Schaefer and Kyle Smith, and those guys pick your next head coach, or at least the list of candidates, and then they conduct the hiring process. Then you got to hope, as always, that this crew knocks out a couple awesome drafts. At quarterback, I'm moving on from Colt McCoy because you just can't trust him. And Jay, at this point in my scenario, is not here anymore to be his boyfriend. So you invite Josh Johnson back to camp and see what he can do over the summer. Depending on cost, you got to think about bringing in like a Ryan Tannehill type or a Fitzmagic. Somebody who's started a number of games and could do so if they win the competition by default. And then you got to get cracking on drafting a quarterback. I mean, hopefully, like, second round, maybe. But if you find a guy that you love in the first, you take him. If not, you take somebody on day two, and you see what you can get out of that group as you engage in a formal rebuild while trying to bury the punishment from Alex Smith's contract into the 2019 season alone. Here's what I think is actually going to happen. Bruce Allen's title gets, like, adjusted in some way that doesn't really matter because it's just window dressing. Schaefer and or Kyle Smith will get some sort of like a new title slash supposed promotion, but in reality, they're not really doing too much different from what they've been doing all along because Dan and Bruce still make most of the important decisions together. Probably they will also add some other guy and cook up some random title for him, and that supposedly will be like the new blood and injection of outside thinking and philosophy. 
but that will basically be a sham and that person will be quickly neutered. And then because of all of that inertia in the front office, they'll keep Jay Gruden because he's totally nondescript and because Dan has already uh, guaranteed him like $10 million over the next two years regardless. And they will once again try to blame all of this year's shortcomings on injuries. If I'm wrong and something big happens soon, then obviously you know I'm going to be tweeting about it right away. And I promise I'll do like another emergency blogcast you know, as the situation dictates. In general, I'm sorry about this year, guys. This year really sucked ass in the end. It started kind of fun, but man, it finished so, so much lower than we ever thought was possible back like end of October. I'm not going to try and blow sunshine up your ass. There's very, very little to be excited about with the Washington Redskins right now. There's very little in terms of reasons for hope. The reason I get so worked up about Bruce Allen and so enthusiastic about the possibility of Dan Snyder eventually firing him It's not because I truly believe Bruce Allen is the root problem. We all know that Dan Snyder is the root problem, but Dan Snyder is not going anywhere. It's pointless to root for or hope for or wait for Dan Snyder to be replaced. He's not selling the team. The one little chance we as fans do have of the Redskins eventually becoming consistently relevant again is that number one, Dan fires Bruce, and number two, Dan hires the right person behind him. And that person is so strikingly, immediately credible and authoritative that Dan finally does completely just get out of the way. I don't know if that person is Eric Schaefer or Kyle Smith or some combination. I don't know. I'm not saying for sure that it is. That era of Redskins football might be just as futile as these last several have been. But that kind of change is our only chance that it might improve. So yes, I get it. I realize that Bruce Allen is really merely a symptom of Dan Snyder's disease. But I don't think Dan himself can ever be cured as long as Bruce remains. So that's it. Please keep following on Twitter, keep listening, and subscribing to Burgundy Blogcast. Leave me an iTunes review if you are so inclined. And let's just hope 2019 is a whole hell of a lot better. But I don't think it will be. 